Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Hey guys, what is going on? We are here with Marcus Torgensen. Is that close? Yep. This guy leaves just space for introduction, man, but the, here's the problem. He does not want to be put into a box. Dude, you've been all over the world, brother. Let me give the listeners a little little love here. Marcus can be found on Instagram, Facebook as well. Yep. I know yep. you have a website at www.marcustorgensen.com. Yep. You're going to go there and you're going to be struck with some, ah, oh, man, like I lo- I'm looking right now and I'm inviting everybody to go to your page as, as they listen to this. And as well as you don't want to be put into a box, there's nothing boxy about this page. I'm seeing like Valentine's Day love and I'm seeing some transformation and I'm seeing some stories of being a badass and I'm seeing hugs and kisses. So if you don't mind, brother, tell me a little bit. Give me a brief history, Marcus, of who you are. Okay, how long do we have on the show? Just don't, just don't put yourself in a box, though. You know me. Let's go. I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada. As a Canadian citizen, that gave me some very in, great insights to multiculturalism. My whole neighborhood was every culture there is was in my neighborhood, and in that neighborhood, there was two things that were guaranteed: there was drunks and fighting. I grew up in East Vancouver, and it's a tougher end of the end of the city. And I wasn't a great student. And, you know, I, I usually preface this now with, you know, everybody has a gift. My gift was not learning within the school system structure. That's just how I didn't read, write, and do things in the way that they teach. It's not how I learned. I started martial arts at 10. And that has been, for the last 42 years, my, the one constant in my life. Anything martial art related, I'm always interested in. I may not, you know... I may not want to try it or do whatever, but I'm always respectful of, hey, what are you up to? Oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. I can see it. Um, in the last 16, 17 years, I've really dived into Krav Maga and, and taking my street and nightclub security background and bringing it forward to help people understand what real violence is and how it really works. You can be the best, badass person on the planet, but you get sucker punched and you're dropped down to one knee and three guys are curb stomping you. You know, you're going to have a come to Jesus moment and figure out what's really going to work and what isn't. And it's just been my life has just been a constant peaks and valleys roller coaster like everybody else's. And I found that now at my age, my mission is to empower and educate, but not just on defensive tactics or, or dealing with violence, but the fear revolving around that subject. And then obviously I'm now on my I have to get the math in. 2016, I decided to become sober, May 24th. So whatever the math is on that, thank you. Whatever the math is, I don't count days anymore. I'm just, because it's the rest of my life. So really, I just, I now I bring people into showing hope. If I've made it 52 years with all the things or the reasons that I shouldn't be here, then you know what? If nothing else, if I don't say anything else, there's living proof that you can do it too. Let's dive into it a little bit. Why martial arts? So, so what's funny is when I think of Canada, I don't think drugs and violence. I don't think right. about it. You know what I mean? I think right. about they're Canadians, dude. Yeah. Well, you know that's and that's a funny thing. It, Canada and, and America are they're identical. We're we're brother sister, right? I mean, at the end of the day, 
I've had people who are like, do you guys have electricity? And I'm like, okay. Now, the advantage Canada has is our we get influenced so much from America that, you know, we see how things are going. And that isn't the same thing, that America isn't seeing a lot of stuff about Canada. Well, now they are. Uh, currently, they are. Not for the better. But in Canada, the reason why I took martial arts was because I was getting my ass kicked, man. You know, back then, I didn't have the social skills that I do now, which are just learned behaviors so that I can interact in public. So I end up doing Kung Fu, right? You know, it didn't help me with getting kicked, but it was my outlet for feeling good about myself. Now, why Kung Fu? Because I remember when you think about martial arts, that's all you think about. David Carradine, and it was the only thing on TV. That or you had Chuck Norris and he was just coming in the picture. That's true. And old Bruce Lee, yeah. I don't know why I ended up with Kung Fu because most people end up with karate or taekwondo because they're the ones making the most money. I have no idea how I ended up. It wasn't in my neighborhood in the sense if I had to take a bus, I had to take two buses to get to the school. So it wasn't like it was close. It just ended up being that way. And, and you know, as a child, when you're losing, your, you don't have an identity as a kid. So my identity, I was called an egg, white on the outside and yellow on the inside because I really embraced the Asian culture, man, like, like huge. So everybody I hung out with wasn't white people. I hung out with Filipinos and Chinese people and I went to Chinatown all the time. So my identity and culture at that age, at that really tender age, was all about, you know, wasn't about me. It was being a part of something else. And the funny part is, is when you're the only white guy in a group of Chinese people, you don't fit in and you're usually not welcomed, right? So I got to be an outcast with white people. I got to be an outcast in my family and I got to be an outcast in this martial art that I love so much. I don't know why I stuck it out, but that was just my thing. I just, that was my, my moments of, of happiness. You grow up difficult, man. Like your upbringing is tough, dude. You know what I mean? Uh, This show can't possibly go on long enough to tell all of it. But to give you a Coles notes, alcoholic mother, violent alcoholic mother. I mean, violent. I watched her. She was drunk one time. I tell this story sometimes. She got cuffed, right? She's cuffed by two cops. She slips out of the cuffs and throws a beating. And by I mean a beating, I mean she was throwing hands. And these officers, you know, this is in the late 70s, early 80s. So Vancouver cops were all six foot two. That was the hiring plateau. You could, you had to be 5'10 and above. And she was throwing hands. Now, of course, they're being gentle. They're not trying to knock her out or whatever. But she, and we didn't have pepper spray back then, right? It was batons and pistols. So, you know, they're trying to duke and out. She was violent, a very violent woman. So I grew up in this, you know, she didn't want me. She hated me. But yet... She still worked every day and put a roof over my head and, and food in my belly. And she just, it just came with a cost, right? Have you ever like gone back? Was there alcoholism in the family? Is that, was that a learned behavior? Yeah, I have like my biological father who died when I was three and her and her, all the family on both sides are all alcoholics. So I have a genetic, I have a genetic disposition towards alcoholism and that's a problem. Yeah, you break out in handcuffs. Yeah. Listen, I'm telling you right now, like she got hit by a car. Okay. She's about 90 pounds. She gets hit by a car, somehow makes it to her bedroom. I walk in, she's, you know, I can hear her. I put her on the light, blood's everywhere. I take her to the hospital. I'm like 12. Okay. Take her to the hospital. Cops come by, obviously everything, you know, they're sitting down and the doctor's like, comes in and says, look, Marcus, I don't know how she's alive. She has so much alcohol in her system. She should be dead. One. And two, the hit from the car should have killed her. They didn't, nothing got broken. The cops are looking at her and like the ambulance attendants took a beating. The doctors had, they had to stay like, and, but now the positive of that, 
the tenacity that she has genetically, the tenacity that she has is something that I've gotten inside of my body. And so as angry as I am, I was for a long time at certain parts of it. I am thankful because work ethic, tenacity, like all that negativity was actually a blessing. Now I can look at that. That's 50 years. That rolls over, right? Because I'm seeing, I mean, hope this isn't offensive, but I, I see this rolling over to you into your life that kept you gritty, you know, yeah. in the martial arts. Yeah. Because I'm telling you yeah. what, if someone lasts that long in martial arts after getting their ass kicked over and over and over, everybody, we only see the end result, right? But you don't see the ass kicking that came with it. No, no, no. And the ridicule and the politics and all of it. I have to say this, when it comes to my mother and martial arts, even as angry as she was and, and she just hated her life, right? And so obviously when she drinks and she's angry as she's drinking, the truth is going to come out, her truth. So, but she still supported me when I had to go to martial arts tournaments. I didn't, you know, somebody had to pay for that. And it's easy for anybody who's listening to this and they're like, I hate my mom and dad because of this. Just if they ever paid for you to go and do a sport or do something, no matter what, they still were showing love to you. They just didn't know how to show the right kind of love. I'm sure you don't even know the trauma that mom experienced that turned her into the, you know what I'm saying? And we oh, see, know, oh, man, yeah. props to your mom, dude, for real. Oh, I know. Yeah. You know, she's been dead, you know, 17 years or so. And when I do look at the back, look back on things, it is amazing because it was unhealthy. My mom, my grandmother, my aunts, everybody were racist. You know, every woman I've been with, with the exception of my second ex-wife, were of different races. So my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, they were all like, are you, what's wrong with white people? I'm like, look, man, that's whatever. That's, it's just one more thing that they didn't like me for. But when it comes to, like, I look at everybody who was drinking back then, and there was no happy drunk in my family. So it's not surprising that when I drank, I was not a very nice drunk. How did your addiction, alcohol, how did it start? Ironically, it didn't start as a kid because when I was 15 and 16, I started getting into competitive bodybuilding. So health and fitness was everything for decades, like for at least, oh my goodness, at least 10 or 15 years. And then, you know, I drink a little bit and I, I still was, you know, it just wasn't my thing. When I did drink, I did drink to excess, right? But it wasn't every day. And then my son was born and he had a lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties and so I started drinking a little bit more. And then I was also working in bars at the time and, you know, drinking while I'm at the bar. Okay. That doesn't make a good combination. And then I just started going down a road and drinking became more and more and more and more. And, you know, everybody who's had any kind of addiction has horror stories that, you know, we cling on to. It's almost like a, a bad crazy glue that just sticks to us on every bad memory we've had do we do our whatever our addiction is and then and it never went away and then I got married the second time to my my ex-wife and she was an alcoholic as well and ironically we both quit the same time and she's still sober to this day so most people drink in their teen years I did all my drinking as an adult and it's uh and go big or go home I and unfortunately like I said people think I'm bragging about this and I don't know why they would think I'm bragging but I have a genetic advantage for drinking I can outdrink most people because of my genetic structure, which means that I go blackout drunk. And a lot of people that have listened to this podcast understand, but a lot of people don't really understand what blackout means is you just, you're still functioning. You can still walk oh, yeah. around, talk, have a conversation, yeah. 
but you yep. are out of it. And tomorrow morning, when yep. when it happens, you wake up in the jail yep. cell. You're like, how did this happen? You know, again, I know everybody has their story, but after drinking, the worst part of the day was waking up and having to go to my phone. Now, what did I do? What text did I send? What phone call did I make? Who did I offend? Getting text messages. Hey, man, I saw you at the bar the other night. Why'd you have to go and take a, you know, beat up one of the bouncers? Like, just ugly, man. And that's why when people say, well, do you ever think you're going to ever go back to drinking? I know what Marcus drinking is like, and I will never put anybody or myself through that ever again for the rest of my life. How long did it last from start to sobriety? Oh, I don't know. It was 1997. So let's just say 97 till 2016. Okay. Wow. That's a lengthy time to develop those neural pathways. This is what you go to. What was your opportunity to change? What was your pivot point? What happened to give you the, just the energy to quit? I'll be honest with you. I woke up and I, I checked my phone and I looked at her and I said, that's it. And she looks, she goes, yeah, we're done. And that was it. Whatever alcohol was left, we dumped it out. And for two years, I drank, you know, those big red cups, you know, the big red ones. So I would fill that with crushed ice and go through upwards of six to eight liters of tonic water with lime every day. And that was, I was drinking tonic water. And that was my association for instead of drinking a beer or Jack or anything else, I had two, maybe even three years straight. And that worked for you. Well, yeah. And, you know, and this is why when it comes to this subject, I'm so happy to be talking about this subject because there's so much stigma with you got to do AA or if the only thing you got to do is not do the drug of choice. That's the only thing you got to do, right? Like how you do it, as long as it's healthy and you're not hurting yourself, whatever it takes. If you have to rub banana peels all over your skin every day for four years to keep you from drinking, then line me up and I'll go find those bananas for you and I'll help you peel them, whatever it takes. Man, I'm hearing this passion because I know, Marcus, in active addiction, man, that cycle of abuse that we went through, that we put our body through, and I think for me, the physical thing, it was the mental game that you played that I'm strong, I'm weak. I'm a piece of crap. Brutal. Yep. Yeah. Who did I offend this time? Who did I hurt? Oh, I can't believe it. Like, I have memories of being passed out on a floor and my, he's my son. He's not my biological son, but I got him when I was four. And having him, you know, having to wake me up and be like, come on, Mark, get in the, in the bed. Or them having to find me at a bus stop. You know, his mother and him driving, and I'm just passed out somewhere. Like, And the problem that I have now, it's I'd like to talk about it, but it is obviously, it's still, I'm still ashamed. And that's what's got to stop. I can't be ashamed. I need to say it out loud and be like, you know what? That moment has given me the strength so that now today when I'm talking to you or I'm talking to somebody else or I'm having a bad day, I can say, hey, whoa, whoa, Marcus, at least you're not what you were before. Baby steps, one step at a time forward motion. That's all we can do. And, and not give it power, not give that shame power. What can you do? You can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. Well, you know what? I got to come here. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm 52 and you like who I am right now. Well, yeah, it comes with some dirt. That is so true, man. You're spitting some fire. And I like this, man. I appreciate it. I love the fact. Do you feel like your past, all these, just this anger that you carry fuels you to stay sober today or do you feel like you have now broken that cycle i think i've broken it only because you've got to keep in mind like i i walk in faith a lot of things have changed in the last few years that make me view my alcoholism differently i am 
not ashamed of my alcoholism. I'm not ashamed to say I'm an ad or an alcoholic. I don't give like there's some people that I've talked to people who have their responses. Well, if you don't drink anymore, it's because you're using fear to keep you from doing it. And then the alcohol still has control over you because of that and I'm like, hold on a second. No, I'm making a conscious decision that I want a better quality of life. Alcohol does not make my life better. So I'm not going to ingest that. If somebody comes up to me and I pray, I pray, I'm just using as an example. If a doctor or somebody says, Marcus, you cannot have red meat anymore. It's just, it's going to kill you. You can't have it. I'm going to be bummed and I'm going to salt and then I'm never going to have red meat again for the rest of my life because it does not benefit my life full going forward. But Marcus, I know I'm hearing this, but a lot of people that are listening are like, there's just no way it's a disease. Alcoholism is a disease. Addiction is a disease. I disagree. So I'm throwing it out there out loud. There's always that debate in recovery. Is it a disease or is it a choice? And if I look at you, Marcus, I'm like, well, he has a disease. Look, it's genetic. I wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Could you stop on the dime and say, I'm done? Yep, I agree. And now, because human nature is, it's always going to be Whopper Big Mac, Coke, Pepsi. It's always got to be one or the other. And black and white, I have no time for it. Because at the end of the day, somebody else's addiction is somebody else's addiction. And that's why I go back to, I don't give how you don't do whatever you do that isn't good for you. Just don't do it by whatever means necessary that is not destructive to you and or anybody that's around you. I've had talks with friends of mine who have been in AA meetings for like 30 years. They go, they have to go. And they're like, you, and you never went? I'm like, no. I had to go as a kid to, uh, it's called Al-Anon, right? The kids who have alcoholic parents, you know, that made an impact on me because I'm sitting there like, yeah, okay. Yeah, my mom spanked me with a frying pan in the head. And I'm looking at this kid. I'm thinking that's really bad. And this kid's going, yeah, my mom set me on fire when she was drunk. And my mom, you know, stabbed me. And, you know, you hear horrific stories and then you start to compare. Well, I'm sorry. I have a problem with comparison because my boy that's on the other side of this camera has demons and frustrations and guilt and shame and anger over this subject, who the fuck am I to say that mine is any worse or better than yours? It doesn't matter. It's you ate a sandwich, I ate a sandwich. Doesn't matter how we did it, but we both ate it and swallowed it. Doesn't matter. What matters is, are you able to live a better quality life now that you no longer ingest that product, whatever that is? And I don't give what you have to do to do it. I don't. I don't care. Just don't do it. Okay. Dude, you're speaking my language. So, so I'm going to ask you this. Okay. Is it a disease or a decision? I believe it's a disease, but unlike cancer or um, any other like HIV or, or anything that's impact, uh, cerebral palsy is a condition, right? It's a disease. It's, I might know about it because my son has it. There's some things like with cancer, you fight it, you really fight it hard, you do whatever you can. And sometimes that cancer is just unbeatable. Well, there's people that have alcoholism that, you know, they've tried really hard, but the disease and their brain are not working together. Their support system, their mental outlook was not strong enough to beat the disease. So to sit there and say it's one or the other, I'm going to just take a typical Canadian approach and I'm just going to merge them together because it doesn't matter whether it's a decision or a disease. The end product is I take in a product that ruins my life. So don't take in that product 
and find your ways to do one day, one hour, one minute, one second at a time. What does it take? What do you have to do? What does it take to build the confidence where you're no longer counting days? Like somebody has said, well, how long have you been sober? Like you did. I have to look because I don't give it how long it's been. It doesn't matter. It's till the end of my life because I'm not going to ingest something that is going to ruin my life. Now, when I'm in a restaurant and somebody's got, we're, you know, we're eating steak and somebody's got a nice red wine there. I'm like, can I just smell it? Oh, oh, I like that. And Guinness. I love Guinness. I got, I went to Ireland sober teaching and I was like, I looked up, I was like, you got a sense of humor, don't you? Here I am in Ireland and they're giving me opportunity to go to the Guinness Museum and, and people were buying them. I had like eight of them in front of me. They didn't know I was sober. So I was like smelling it. Thanks guys. Okay, good. Here, giving away. That's enough for me. Dude, I mean, honestly, people are listening to saying, my man is a nut. So you went to Ireland and came home sober. So it can be done. You can have any drug of choice in front of you. Now, if you're not feeling overly powerful at that moment, then of course I recommend don't do it. That was a question I wanted to ask you. I love this approach because that's how I did it. It doesn't work for everybody. But here's my question. It takes a little bit of mental toughness. Oh my God, it takes a huge amount. Not a little bit. I would say that, let's just say it's 50-50 because disease decision, right? So let's just say it's for everybody, it's 50-50 and then it changes. It's volatile like the stock market. So with that in mind, if it's gritty, if it's resolve, how do we teach that? Because when you go to AA, you're not learning that. When you're going to these different meetings, like how do we teach? This is a real legit question that I have for you, Marcus. Like, I teach men. I teach first responders, military veterans, and I want to take them back to the days of grittiness. Because right now, you're not mentally tough. If you're in active addiction, it's tough. That's like one of the hardest points. You remember it. You can taste it. You can feel it. It has so much damn power over you. So you got to go back a little bit in your days and reach back in and say, "Hmm, I got to find this guy again. How do we find that guy? How do we untrap him? The hardest part is usually, like, it's not necessarily going away from the product. It's when the product comes back around you. So let's say drinking, because it's it's just easier. It, you know, it doesn't really matter what the drug is. Please just supplant whatever I'm saying and use your drug of choice. Opioids or sex addiction, whatever it is, just put it in there in your own head. I do good at home because I can control my environment. Okay, now I have to go to a birthday party. And the birthday party's at a bar. I make a decision. I am not ready to go to a bar yet. Don't go to the bar. The beautiful part about that is you think, oh, I'm going to offend somebody. Well, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters right now, if that person, whoever that person is, says, what the fuck are you talking about? Don't worry about it. We'll make sure you don't drink. That is a huge sign. says, I don't need you in my life. You need to cleanse yourself of everybody that is not in support of what you're doing. Now, that doesn't mean... Like at some point, I'm sure you're already there. You know, you get to a point where you're like, have a drink. I don't like people getting squirrely around me. Like, oh, Marcus, I can't drink. Drink, man. I might want to sniff it, but you know, it's okay. And then see how you're laughing? Then it makes people laugh. And if they're laughing, they're more comfortable. Now, strength is going to be ups and downs. On a Monday, you're strong enough to go to the bar and be able to say no. On Tuesday, you're not. Doesn't mean you're relapsing. It just means that at that moment, Other variables are kicking in and you're just not ready. So don't go outside. Simple. Let me grow on this a little bit. I'm looking at a post that you put on Instagram and it says people who made it into discomfort and vulnerability and tell the truth about their stories 
are the real badasses. Why did you put that there? Because to me, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Because it's important to have a reminder on what we use the word badass and we immediately think of somebody who's got together. You know who's a badass? The person who got up in this morning, first of all, got up and put the gun away and they're like, okay, I'm going to try and make it another day. And a real badass is the one who goes through the witching hour and sits there and puts that weapon away, puts the drugs away, puts it and says, I'm not going to do this tonight. That's a badass. A badass is not a person running into a room with a Valkyries and Vikings and hitting and killing. That's not a badass. That's somebody who's got a taste for blood. Awesome. Great. That's sweet. But that's not a badass. A badass is somebody who's willing to go into their dark moment, smile in the face of adversity, and say, I am not allowing you to win today. Today. It doesn't matter tomorrow. I need to worry about today. And yesterday doesn't help me because maybe yesterday I had a bad day. So right now, this moment, right here. All right, Marcus, here's the question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you a badass? In the sense that you're talking about, not running in, but have you had these moments in your life where you thought about, man, I'm ready to dispatch myself. I'm done. I just can't do this. Checking out. Checking out. Have you been there? That's the only, as a matter of fact, so I had a phone call from a friend of mine who's in Texas. And he and I were both immigrants and he's a, he's a salty old bastard hunter, been hunting on every plane. Okay. This guy's, he's a savage. And we've had some dark conversations and he calls me and he says, uh, I'm going to check out. I'm like, okay. So we're talking, videoing and I'm making jokes. I'm like, well, you can't do use that gun. So don't use that. Matter of fact, disassemble it right now and mail me it, the parts to it to me. Okay. And we're good. He's excellent. He's Facebook. He posts, he's like, Marcus saved my life tonight. Two hours later, he offed himself. I get a phone call then two days later from a detective in Texas. Marcus Torgerson, yes, you're the last person to talk to him. Now, that's the first one I've talked to, you know, who didn't say okay and is still living. He's the first one that's actually checked out. Now, the reason I can have these conversations with people is because I know what it's like to have a gun in my mouth. I know what it's like to sit there and do destructive behavior knowing that I'm looking for death. When I say dark moments build you, so that you can be the light for someone else. It's not about you. If you can survive not killing yourself one day and then take that information to somebody else and save them from killing themselves, it's the most beautiful thing on the planet. And it starts with you. It starts with me. I I need to keep myself together. I need to stay alive. I need to not drink. I need to not do destructive behavior. I know what those are. Okay, don't do those things. I'm not Einstein. I'm I'm not a smart guy. If Smashing my head in the wall is not good for me. Don't smash your head in the wall. It's pretty simple. I'm hearing this, man, and I'm just thinking about the moments in my life where those thoughts come have come in. Because just for the sake of time, I want to I want to be uh, I want to be honest with that. But you talk a lot about Batman. Oh, I am this is my brother. I am a fanatic. I love it. About Batman? Batman, dude. Uh-huh. Okay. So I know you have a shirt online that that talks about, because I understand the darkness and the light and Bruce Wayne. I I get all that, but why is it your thing? Well, Batman, one, I like Batman because he's human, right? He bleeds and cries just like everybody else. He ain't special. He's had a traumatic loss that impacted him enough to want to go and do something else to do something against that thing, whatever that thing was. In this case, it's about, you know, making bad guys' pants. When there's evil in this world, 
somebody has to stand up and fight for those that can't fight for themselves. And Batman is the best representation that I've seen for somebody who fights for those that cannot fight for themselves. Women, children, men, whoever it is that cannot fight evil because evil is overwhelming them, there's Batman. And Batman knows how to sit there and snap jaws and break bodies and make the fear of you think you're an ugly, evil person? I'm going to show you what that is while still having compassion and empathy for those that can't fight for themselves. I like that, man. It makes me think about the only reason we can talk like we do is we've been on that other side. Exactly. And that's what makes you, myself and others, relatable because the words coming out of our mouth are authentic, transparent, and honest. And there's nothing that an addict cannot handle more is being preached to. When it comes to cops and robbers, I always lean more with the robbers because of my upbringing, okay? And I lean towards the cops because I was one. Right. So, and But I work with law enforcement on a regular basis. So, And I definitely, if you ask me right now, I'm, I'm, I'm behind the blue line all the way. But if I'm in front of a guy who's grown up his entire life in a criminal system, okay, he's institutionalized, I'm not going to preach at him and be like, well, you should do this, you can't do this. Look, what's your darkest moment? I microwave my baby. That you, you cooked your baby because of meth, yep, or fentanyl or whatever. And I know that that's going to be with you for the rest of your life. When's the last time you did any drugs? It's been two days. It's okay, so let's make it three. And you're going to have to come to grips with putting your baby in a microwave. That can't be unchanged. The only thing you can do is help somebody else not do that same thing. The only thing we're, my, my only purpose, and I like it for everybody, but my only purpose is to serve my fellow man. Do more for others than I do for myself. It's that simple. If I can serve my fellow man and woman and help them even one little itty bitty, then I'm good. I'm, that makes everything worthwhile. Everything I've gone through to this point up until this moment, if I had to go through all of that so that one person doesn't kill themselves or doesn't have a drink or doesn't do whatever or has been assaulted sexually and says, okay, I say you made it, then I can make it. Whatever it is, I understand. I'm good with it. It makes me okay with it now. So question, right? You just talked about Batman that he's fighting for the women, the children, the men that can't fight. Who are you yeah. fighting for? I'm fighting for every little child. And now little child meaning adult. Okay, I'm fighting for every little child that thought that they were never supposed to be put on this earth, that they have no self-worth, they're useless, they're absolutely, if they were to disappear tomorrow, nobody would miss them. I fight for them because they will be missed. I have a problem with suicide. I've got a real problem with suicide. And unfortunately, addiction and suicide or overdose uh, are so, they're two sides of the same coin right there. So if I can deal with one and it helps deal with the other, my dealing with you and suicide helps you get rid of your addiction, then we can't hit both at the same time. You know, men, we can't do two things at the same time. So I got to sit there. I'm going to pick one, whichever one you want to deal with. My last question is usually what's your purpose or mission? You just said to serve my fellow men, but I want to know, but the real question is how we always have this mantra. You're right. We always talk about, Oh, this is, this is what I want to do. But there's not a lot of doers. Yeah. I love the scripture yeah. in the Bible that says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. I love yeah. that because it yeah. makes me think. I mean, even in the biblical times, they were talking about this stuff. So how, brother, are you serving fellow men? Well, and that's, I got to make sure I don't cry on this one. I have no idea. I have been praying for a long time saying, look, 
I mean, I retired from my job for a reason. I didn't feel like that was my calling anymore. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So until I get some kind of, I'm a meathead, man. You need to, you need to punch the answer into me. Very clear, big, bold letters. Like I am Sam, that kind of saying, Marcus, I want you to do this. I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do. The only thing I can do is get on like these types of podcasts, which I'm so thankful and blessed that I was given this opportunity. I don't have to talk about self-defense because defending yourself is great. But if you can't protect yourself from yourself, then what the fuck is the use of protecting yourself against 12 guys? Like, what's the use? So I don't know what it is. What I'm hoping, I'll be moving to Texas in September, uh, back to Texas. Um, I'm hoping that with me being back in Texas, that something will happen and my my journey, my purpose will will present itself. I don't know what it is. I love it, man. 100% completely honored to have you on the show. Really. Anything that I have not touched on, I would just say say this, and I've said this before, and I'm going to keep saying it because I, I think it's important, especially when you're an addict. I'm going to ask you, the listener or whoever's watching this, to show some compassion for the version of you that you're most ashamed of. Because the version of you you're ashamed of doesn't have the information now. You didn't know now what you knew back then. So show a little empathy and compassion for that person, that person you were back then. Cut them some slack. Breathe a little bit. And now, person that you are, become a better version of what you want to be in this chapter of your life. Brother, I'm going to call you back up because we're going to need it. We're going to need episode two, I think. Oh, that well, listen, you say so. I'll be there. I love it, man. I think what I'm afraid of is my listeners are going to be like, they're going to be texting me and sending me messages saying, bro, why didn't you ask Marcus this question? Why, why did you leave it out? So, I'm going to leave this open. I would love to invite you back on the podcast because, I mean, loved it, man. Thank you so much. That's a no-brainer. You say when, I say yes. I love that, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for being on the Chase of Ace podcast today. I usually start thanking the, the first responders, the men and women out there that are, that are allowing us to do this. We thank them. And Marcus, honored brother, thank you for being here. I appreciate you, brother. Doing great work. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcast to get new, fresh, weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.